That is such a great, great song uh, to end with on our time of worship. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it. James chapter number five. We have made it to the last chapter of this book. And uh, the book of James, as we've been studying what it means to have a genuine faith, uh, a practical faith, something that you can live every day, some truth of God that you can live every day and apply in your life. And the whole book of James is really... Uh, has that focus uh, as James is writing this letter to uh, the the church that has been scattered abroad. He he's really focusing on as you as you go where God has taken you, have some practical truth that you're living in your life every day. And so we've learned that in chapter one and chapter two, chapter three and four, learning about perspectives of faith and practice of faith and power of faith and passion of our faith. And as you jump into chapter number five, you're going to learn about the aspect of the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith. I think the key to practically living a genuine Christian life is found through a life of prayer. It really, really is. It is one of the areas I think most neglected in the Christian life, at least I can say from personal experience, it's one of the areas where I struggle most with uh, is the life of prayer. Because many times, and I've I've fallen into this trap myself, it kind of feels like when you are in a time of prayer that you're really not doing anything. It kind of feels sometimes that when you're praying, you're kind of just almost hoping, right? It's this idea of, well, I hope this happens. Let me just say it out loud and almost like positive reinforcement or the power of positive thinking, say it out loud and maybe uh, something will happen. But that's not what prayer is. It's not uh, just a thought of a positive thing happening. It's way more than that. Uh, it, It does more than all of our work combined. In fact, it's what makes our work, our good works, our deeds actually produce something. Because Doing good deeds, anyone can do them. You don't have to be a Christian to do a good deed. In fact, there's organizations all over our world that help people that are in hunger and people that are suffering from cancer and diseases and uh, people that are going through difficult economic circumstances. When a hurricane hits in a city or in an area like it did in Houston a few years ago, uh, it wasn't just Christians that come to that city and help. I mean, everyone does. uh, Good deeds can be done by anyone. But for good deeds to have any kind of impact, to good, for good deeds to have any kind of transformational power, they must have prayer behind them. See, that, that's the difference in prayer. Prayer actually gives us the ability to, to cause fruit to happen from our labor. It allows good deeds to bring something to fruition. And so when it comes to genuine Christian living... I think the key to actually experiencing that is prayer in your life. It's the time of prayer that you spend talking with God. Now, it's most important when you're going through spiritual warfare, when you're having spiritual needs, usually that's when we run to prayer. And that's good. I think you ought to. The Bible says we ought to. All right. In Ephesians chapter six, when he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God at the very end, verse number 18, he says, uh, we ought to have a prayer behind all of that. All right. Having a life 
of prayer. So prayer is important. It's the key to making all of this work. It's the key, if you will, to making chapters one through four work. You want to have the right perspective on your faith? Be sure you're praying. You want to have the right practice in your faith and keep living that way? Be sure you're praying. You want to have some power behind the words that you're sharing with your family members or your coworkers? Be sure you're praying. You want to maintain the passion of your faith on fire for God? Be sure you're praying. It's the key to making everything else come together and work. But so many times as Christians, if we're not careful, we don't spend that time in prayer. It's kind of like um, someone like Jeff Bezos. I don't know if he's the richest man in the world, but I think he is one of the, he's for sure in the top three, but... But if someone like Jeff Bezos, right, the the owner of Amazon, were to deposit into your bank account a million dollars, instantly you would become a millionaire. And it's guaranteed everybody knows the guy's worth like 90 billion or I don't know what he's worth now, but something like that. And so uh, nobody would question if he wrote a a, a check to the bank, to your bank, into your account of a million dollars, everybody would know that's guaranteed money and it's going to appear in your account. But in order for that million dollars to do anything, to have any kind of impact in your life, you've got to withdraw that, which means you've got to know how to write a check. Right? You've you got to know how to sign your name and, and get that check and, and, and really uh, uh, use the checkbook if you're going to get that million dollars out. You've you got to be able to use that. And the problem is that many times as Christians, we have the guarantee of God answering prayer. We're just not writing the checks for it. We're just not taking time to go to God and say, God, now you've promised this and you've guaranteed this. And it's kind of like having that million dollars in the bank, that check. In chapter five, James is really going to focus on this of prayer. Prayer is cashing the check and the promises that God has made to us. It really uh, brings into that as the focus. So James here in chapter 5 brings the theme of prayer into focus. You see, there must be a prayer life to our faith if we're going to live as genuine Christians. If we're going to actually have that practicality lived out, you must have the prayer life. And let me just say as we begin this study that we will always pray for what is important to us in life. That's why usually when I ask somebody, do you pray? They say, usually the first thing they say, oh yeah, I pray for my family every day. Because your family is important. So you take time to pray for your family because it's important. Sometimes you'll pray for your job because that's important. You see, anything that's important to us in life, we'll pray about. Anything that is a priority in our life, we pray about. So as we go through chapter 5, of the book of James, we're going to focus on prayer. And you're going to see kind of how James can can really point us to that. It's not always clearly obvious, but it's something I think that you can draw out of this passage. And I want you to notice, starting in verse number one, that James is going to be talking about materialism and how we need prayer in our life if we're not going to live a materialistic life. If we're not going to get trapped into the life of materialism, you're going to have to have prayer as part of your life. And so let's read what James has to say about materialism. And then we're going to talk about three prayer requests that we can uh, pray about for God to help us overcome that in our life. So 
James chapter number five, verse number one says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. The cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. He starts off talking about materialism and what it does and the destruction that it can bring. And we're going to kind of dissect these six verses and draw out three prayers that we can have in our prayer life to help us defeat materialism in our life. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to give us his wisdom and his spirit as we study his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, for allowing us to be in your house. Thank you for your word that instructs us and guides us and exhort us. And, and Father, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that we would allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. I pray that there might not be any distractions right now that would take us away from the focus of this study. I pray that uh, we can be 100% here in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, first of all, would fill me as the preacher to, to preach uh, what you've laid on my heart, that I would have freedom to do so, that I would preach only what you want. I pray that anything that's in this message that needs to be left out, that by the guidance of your spirit, I'd leave it out. And that, Father, we'd be challenged by your word today, that we'd be encouraged by your word today. I pray that we would be able to understand what materialism does and is, and help us to find victory over it in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So three prayer requests that we must have to live a genuine faith. Notice, first of all, that we must pray that gold does not become your God. The first prayer request we ought to pray about when it comes uh, to our prayer life and avoiding materialism in our life is pray that gold does not become your God. You see, the first truth that James points out to us in this chapter is the reality that riches can actually bring misery to your life. He says that in verse number one, oh, come to now you rich for the miseries that will come upon you. And there are riches that can really bring misery in your life. Now, let me be very clear about this. God is not against riches. God is the richest being there is. God is not against you and me having riches. God has given us what we have, and God is all about providing our needs and even providing some of our wants and desires. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God is not against giving riches. God gave Abraham, many scholars believe uh, he was probably the richest man on earth at the time in which he lived. Job uh, lived at a similar time or close to the time of Abraham. They both were very rich, very well off. You can read in the book of Genesis, uh, starting in verse chapter uh, 12, uh, verse number one, you can read a little bit about Abraham and see his wealth. And of course, you can go to the book of Job, it's somewhere near the middle of your Bible. You can read about his wealth. God's not against riches. God's not against us having riches. God gives us the riches that we have. But if we're not careful, 
the blessings of the riches that God gives us and that we have can turn into materialism in our life. That gold that God gives can become something of a God in our life. Yeah, we may not put it up in a wall in our room and start bowing to that object, no, but we might live for it. We might desire it over other things or over everything. Uh, gold can become our God. And for this reason, we must have the first prayer request of saying, God, help, help me to not let gold become my God. Why? Because money will consume you. Notice what James says in verse number two of chapter five. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. That means it's corroded is that word uh, cankered. And the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. He's just describing what gold can do, what money can do. It can consume you. It can be everything to you. Uh, money is something that uh, really can uh, get to a point where it controls your life, where it has way too high of an importance. Uh, now, money, like everything else, is susceptible to corruption. Money is not something eternal. The only time that money becomes eternal is when God touches it. God is eternal, someone said, and anything he puts his hand on becomes eternal. If you want your wealth to last way beyond this life, the secret isn't putting it in the right stock market uh, fund or uh, in the right bank savings account. No, it's putting it in God's hands. If you put your riches in God's hands, God turns that into something eternal. Because money is not eternal. It will be affected with time and its corruption can even affect you. It can affect what you wear, as James says, in the garments to get moth-eaten. It can be corrupted in what it's used for and what, what you value it to be. Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet Jeremiah said this in verse number 11, As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. And Jeremiah says, you can get all these riches, but if you're not doing the right thing with those riches, you're a fool. In the New Testament, I believe in the book of Mark, Mark writes, what does a prophet, a man, if he were to gain the whole world, lose his own soul? What does a prophet you if you have all the material that you ever want, but never do anything profitable with it? It profits you nothing. The Bible says you're foolish for even having that kind of desire, thinking that money can go beyond that. No, no, money can consume you. Now, have you ever noticed how it can? We were learning this in, uh, in the midweek uh, Bible study. We we're, were talking about the treasure principle. And this last Wednesday, we were actually talking about this very thought of how money can consume you. Some people, uh, because of money, will neglect their families. Uh, some people, because of that love and desire for money and materialism, they, they, they won't be creating memories with their children. They'll spend more time at the office. And as their family begins to crumble and break apart, uh, the, the, the father will say, well, well, I'm just working so you can have everything you want. Thinking that materialism can bring satisfaction and peace. 
Uh, thinking if we just had everything that we could buy and everything that a, our heart's desire could have, then, then we'd be happy. Then all of life would make sense and our problems would go away. And James says, don't you understand that materialism, it will consume you. Money can just consume you that way. Listen, the richest man to ever live said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a man writing from man's perspective. And Solomon is sharing his experiences and thinking, man, I I bought this. I, I tried everything under the sun and I thought I would have joy and happiness and I found that it doesn't fulfill. He said, I, I, I had all that money could buy. It wasn't fulfilling. I experienced all that they told me would bring joy in my life, and it didn't. Read through Ecclesiastes, and he gives you all of his conclusions as to what all of that means. And suddenly, you just find yourself realizing materialism can just consume you. It'll make you act inappropriately with your spouse. You'll inconvenience them just because, hey, the almighty dollar. Kind of reminds me of that character in A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. Has no friends. It's not one that really treats uh, his business partners and those that do business with him right. He's just all about the all-consuming dollar. Materialism. Money will consume you, James says. Money will increase worry and stress. You know, the more money that you have, the more you have to worry about. <laughs> you find, you, you get your money, you put it in the stocks, right? In bonds or whatever, in the, into the stock market, and suddenly, man, all day you're looking on your phone, hey, how's the stock doing? How's Apple doing? How's, you know, whatever, Amazon doing, Netflix doing, whatever you put your money in, you, you want to see, and you get consumed by it. It's, it's your ever-waking thought. You begin to worry. I hope I don't lose money on this. I hope I can make something out of this. Money is something that can make stress and worry go up. Uh, you, you put it in the bank and you start worrying, man, will somebody steal it? Somebody might steal my identity and take everything I have. I mean, that's identity fraud is something big and it's growing and got to be really careful with it. You put it in your house, and then you're hoping that no one breaks in. You put it in your business, and you hope the economy just keeps going up and up, and I don't want a crash to come because I'll lose it all. Materialism can consume you. Materialism will begin to have you worry and make stress go up in your life. That's why in Luke chapter 12, verse 22 Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither of, for the body what you shall put on. Life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. There's more to life than just the materialistic idea of I gotta have, I gotta have this, gotta have this, gotta have this. There's more to life than that. And James is saying, Don't you understand, you that have this materialistic mindset? that it's only going to bring misery to your life, it'll only consume you like a fire consumes uh, uh, dead branches and trees. It just eats it up. That's what it does. Materialism, if you're not careful, will begin to corrode your life. 
And this is why investing in the eternal is so important. You see, the eternal, the eternal is something that is of a guarantee by God himself. There are eternal rewards. There are things that you can give to God that you will not lose. I love Jim Elliott, the, the great missionary in the 1950s that went down to the Inca Indians there in, in, in Ecuador, I believe it was. And, and, and he said this quote, he says, uh, if you give it to God, he, he gains what he cannot lose who gives it to God. He is no fool, he said, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's important for us to understand materialism can consume you. Materialism can make stress and worry go up. So start investing in something eternal. Pray to God and say, God, help me to not let the gold, the riches that you've blessed me with to become something that I just worship and live for. But the second prayer request we see in this passage is to pray that God's goodness will overcome our greed. Look in verse number four, where James says this, behold, he said, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. Now, James is talking about something that's really uh, specific to his economy and his day and age, okay? So let me explain this a little bit. Usually in, in the day and age in which James is writing this, which was in the first century, uh, when someone was going to go and, and get a job, uh, especially when it was uh, farm work, uh, what, what happened was a landowner would hire somebody for a settled amount. And so they would say, um, uh, hey, hey, Joe, if you want to come and, and work, I'll, I'll pay you 50 bucks for the day and we're going to be uh, uh, picking cherries today. So for 50 bucks, I'll, at the end of the day, I'll pay you. And so they'd say, okay. There was no contract written. There wasn't no like legally binding thing. There was no uh, employee rights and, 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 and benefits or anything like that. It was just kind of like, all right, that's what we agreed on. Let's go. And so you'd go and you'd work. But some landowners were very greedy. And so what would happen was at the end of the day, sometimes they would tell their workers, oh, um, listen, I... I, I um, I didn't get uh, what I was going to make last week. Some people are still owing me money, and so I can't pay you today. Uh, but listen, I, I'll owe you, okay? And, and I promise you, by tomorrow, I'll pay your money. And then they would delay it again and delay it again. Or sometimes what they would do is at the end of the day's work, after that uh, employee had, had worked on their field all day as they agreed, they would say, ah, you know what? I don't think you gave me $50 worth of work, so I'm just going to give you $30. There's really nothing that you could really do. You could try to go and uh, uh, try to uh, take them to court. But the problem is, if that judge uh, was a friend of that landowner, he's probably not going to rule in your favor. And so people would get rich. A lot of these landowners, uh, be, through their greed, they wouldn't give the, the, those that were working what they worked for. That way they could have a little bit more and start building their little empire there. The materialism that they had as a mindset led them to live lives that were very greedy. So James is saying those uh, that, that have that greed understand that it's going to bring misery. In fact, there where it says uh, uh, in verse number four where they have kept back, the, the tense in the Greek word there, uh, it, it means they're never going to pay them their salary. When it says that they kept back, it was not just they were saying, hey, I'll pay you tomorrow. They were saying, we're never going to pay him. 
Notice where that greed took them to, to being completely dishonest. And there's something about greed that you and I must understand. Greed ruins your integrity. When you have a materialistic mindset, you begin to worship the gold in your life, the money in your life. You begin living for that and sacrificing for it. And that's all that matters to you. And suddenly you'll find yourself being very greedy as well. You'll no longer be known as someone with integrity, but someone that is full of greed. You see, when we allow greed to come into our lives and rule us, then God's goodness begins to fade. We no longer have the idea of, I'm here to help others. I'm here to be a blessing to others. You no longer have that mindset. The mindset becomes, what can you do for me? What am I going to get out of it? I don't think anything illustrates that as much as the American dream. We have literally millions of immigrants that come to this country that want a better life and thank God that there's a place that they can come to and have a better life. But you'll find many times that we come here and we we want the better life and we want the American dream. But if we're not careful, that American dream becomes American greed. And they forget about where they came from and the needs that were there that they came out of, the poverty that was there. They forget about the circumstances that God allowed them to get out of. And instead of helping someone else that's in those circumstances, and and most likely they were helped to get where they're at, instead of having that mindset, it's all about now, how can I make this more? How can I have more? And suddenly it's all about the success that I can have and the wealth that I can build. And suddenly greed begins to... It begins to be all that they're about. They're no longer honest in their words and in their deeds, but we become very self-centered, self-indulging. We tell ourselves we have to have more and more and more. That's why the prophet Haggai in his day, he said this, Haggai chapter 1. By the way, this isn't new. This isn't just the American dreams and only Americans have it. Listen, uh, you, you, you can be in Mexico, you can be in Central America, South America, you can be in Russia today and still be greedy. Okay? It's just the idea of I want more for me, I'm looking out for me. Self-centeredness that way. But Haggai, it was happening in his day and the prophet was given this message by God to go and preach. He said, now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. The prophet said, notice what greed does. It robs you of any kind of integrity and character that you could have. And it leaves you empty. Yeah, you have all these things. You have clothes, but you're not warm. Man, you're, you're working a lot, but you're bringing in little. Really not making much of a difference. You drink, but you're not satisfied. That's what greed is all about. But not only does it ruin your integrity, greed brings God's judgment. And James tells us that eventually greed will catch up to us. He says, it crieth. You've kept back the wages and it crieth. And that cry has gotten to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth or the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is the only time this title is used 
in the New Testament. This title of God, the Lord of the Sabbath, is used 281 times in the Old Testament. In fact, it can be translated sometimes in your Bible as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things. That's the title, but it's an Old Testament title that James is using here. And it's very significant because anytime that title was used, it was because God was going to bring judgment. Uh, If you read the story of David, and that's my favorite story, David and Goliath, and if you're not too familiar with it, David is this little shepherd boy, and Goliath is this big giant. He's a Philistine, and he's been uh, mocking the Israelites, and the Philistines are, are trying to take over and invade Israel, and They need somebody. They need someone to step up and fight this guy. And King Saul's too scared. And all of his army's too scared. And this little uh, shepherd boy, probably around 17 or 18 years of age, that David had at that time, goes and faces this giant. And as he goes to face this giant, he says to the giant, you come to me with swords and, and, and staves or sticks and spears. He said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He uses that same title. If you know the story, David sling, gets a rock and with his sling hits the giant in the forehead and kills him and then takes his own sword and decapitates him. Anytime that title was used, God acted. Uh, the, the, uh, the story of Samuel in the first book, 1 Samuel chapter 1, his mom Hannah couldn't have children and she would, she would tell her husband Elkanah, hey, I, I really want to have kids. Elkanah said, what, what do you want me to do? I'm not God, I can't can't do that. And she goes to the temple and begins to pray and to pray and to pray. So much was her prayer and so intense was her prayer that while she was there in the temple praying, the the high priest Eli comes and thinks she's drunk. Say, hey woman, this is not a place for drunkenness, get out. And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm just crying and praying that God would give me a child. And if God would just give me a child, I'd give him back to him. And she uses that title, the Lord of hosts. You know what God did? A year later, he answered her prayer. Because that title brings action from God. We see here, James says, listen, you that have been greedy, you that have been materialistic, understand that those that you have cheated and those that you have been and done wrong to, their cries are getting to God. He's going to act. Greed brings about God's judgment. Careful that serving that in your life doesn't bring more of God's judgment into your life. God's not just going to stand by and let greed just go on and on and on. No. He says in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 12, when he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. God is one that acts when things happen like that when he is called upon in that way. He's a God of justice, God of equity. You find that we ought to pray and say, God, I pray that your goodness, and by the way, when I say God's goodness to overcome, I'm not saying that God's goodness cannot overcome or sometimes it falls short. Listen, anything that you and I do that's good is God's goodness, okay? If you help somebody at work, it's because God allowed you to see the need and to fulfill that need, supply the need. 
If, you, if you've raised your children in a way in which they love God and are serving God, it's because God gave you wisdom for that. Any good thing we do is because of God, not because of us. That's why I put God's goodness. Not our goodness, God's goodness. That's why Paul said, I don't glory in anything but the cross. I can't glory in anything else and anyone else but in Christ. It's Christ that does it all, right? We got to understand it's Christ that uses us to do good things. So the goodness of Christ in our life will overcome the greed if we allow him to. But we ought to pray, God, may your goodness work through me and flow through me today. God, give me an opportunity to be a blessing to someone today. Help me to help someone at work. God, give me a verse or something to share with them, something to give to them. Give me a need that I can supply. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's just a hug to one of my children. That'll work. You might find that God might use that more than anything. But it's a God, the goodness of God that overcome that greed that so easily can take hold of us. Pray that God's goodness will overcome. Then I want you to notice the last prayer, and that is we ought to pray that our gratification will not be our guiding light. You get to verse number six, and James speaks on how riches lead us to live carelessly and callously. The word there, he says, he says in verse number, uh, verse number six, he says, or verse number five, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. That wanton means luxury, luxuriously. He said, you lived in the pleasures that you want. You've lived luxuriously. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. He just simply said, you've partied like there ain't no tomorrow. You've lived carelessly, but then callously in verse number six, you've condemned and killed the just and he does not resist you. He said, you've, you've lived this way. Don't you know what's coming when you live that way? Pray, pray that your gratification, living for just your pleasures and your, in yourself won't be the guiding light that you live by. We see this so clearly today, thanks to social media and other sources and the news. You can see how people live that all the time. We can see how celebrities that have it all are, are sometimes the ones that are most obvious in this way. They believe that consequences don't apply to them. They think that they can just live however they want and promote whatever they want and nothing is ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to change. There are no consequences. There are no repercussions. If I just live in my pleasure and my luxuriousness, I can overcome anything. And James says, you're way off if you think that. You're way off if you think that the Lord of hosts will not bring judgment. You're way off if you think that greed or materialism will, will be something that will satisfy you. It won't. It actually gets worse and worse. Greed, yes, it ruins your integrity and your character. But when you start living just for yourself, you begin to be all callous towards people and careless about the needs around you. And here's what you find, James says, you'll find that pleasure is temporary. You can live in that pleasure, but only for a season. It does not last forever. 
In fact, if you live in your own pleasures for long enough, you'll find yourself sad and depressed and discouraged. I was reading a book um, titled Rich Dad, Poor Dad. In the beginning of chapter 2, he begins to talk about the five wealthiest men in 1920, and, and, and some of them are, you know, steel, steel car, uh, tycoons and, and people that, that were very uh, well-known. Charles Schwab was an investor and, and all these. And he was saying uh, four out of those five committed suicide the next decade. Had it all. Stock market crashed, lost it all. A few years into it, they just couldn't cope with it. They'd been living in their pleasure and luxuriousness and suddenly they found themselves penniless. Decided to take their life. Life's not worth living anymore. You know what they found out? Pleasure's temporary. It's only for a short while. That's why it's so amazing to see. Why did God use Moses the way he did to lead probably a million people out of Egypt into a new land, into a promised land? How could, how could a man like Moses do that? Here's how he did it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know what Moses figured out early on in life? Even though he grew up in a palace, even though he grew up as Pharaoh's daughter's son, that pleasure's temporary. I'm sure there were times where Moses had to pray to God and say, God, help me to not live for the pleasures of this world. For my own gratification. No, no. I don't want... That to be what leads me, God. God took him out of Egypt into the backside of a desert and for 40 years worked on him. And suddenly he came back a different man when he came back to Egypt. What was guiding him then and at that time wasn't the pleasures of Egypt and what they had to offer. It was God's spirit guiding him and lighting his way. Moses figured out pleasure is temporary, but also that pleasure can affect your treatment of others. Get to verse number six, and James says, ye kill and condemn the just. The word there, the just, is the same word as, that's used and translated as righteous, the innocent people. And they can't do anything to stop you. And they think, oh, I'm going I'm to do this to anybody that gets in my way. The people that are ruled by the greed in their life and the materialistic mindset, anyone that gets in their way, we're going to destroy them. Because that's what living for yourself will do. Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man, Jesus said, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Never says that the rich man went and took a plate of food to Lazarus. Never one time did it say the rich man asked Lazarus to come and eat at his table and, and enjoy just a meal in a warm home and, 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 and a nice uh, dinner together. Never says that. 
Never says that he took a garment to help him. No, it says the dogs licked his wounds. But the rich man, he fared sumptuously every day. He lived in the luxuriousness of his life, in the pleasure of his own life, and thought that was going to last forever. But pleasure is temporary. In that pleasure, he thought, I'm so much better than Lazarus, he can stay at my gate. But he ain't coming through that gate. If he wants food, eat the crumbs. But he's not having a meal with me. You see, pleasure can affect your treatment of others. You live that way and just in a materialistic mindset. It takes you away from anything else. I pray that God would help us not live that way. Pray that God would help this church to have a testimony that says, yeah, there are some really well-off businessmen and there's some very successful employees there in that church, but man, do they have a heart for people. Man, do they care about what's happening in other countries and they give to the missions and the missionaries that go in and give the gospel. Man, you, you, you can't go to that church uh, for too long before someone's inviting you to go out and eat with them. For they want to just connect with you and see what's going on in your life and, and try to meet some of the needs in your life. May, may, may God help us to have that kind of testimony in this church. Because I believe that's the kind of church that God wants. I, I believe that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Don't you? Don't you want to come on Sundays and say, man, I'm part of something bigger than just what the materialistic mentality of this world offers. And even at church, we don't have that kind of mentality. So well, how are we going to do that prayer? Say, God, help me not to get so caught up in me and what I love to do and the pleasures of this world. Help me not to get so caught up in that that I forget about everything else. That I forget about everyone else. No, no, no. I, I need to have something else guiding me more than, than just this mentality of having more. We see this morning that if we're not careful, riches can really ruin us. And that's why prayer is so important. Jesus told his disciples, pray that you fall not into temptation. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. There's so much importance on prayer because that's what's going to help us avoid this materialistic mentality. Praying that gold does not become our God. Praying that God's goodness will overcome the greed that we might have in life. Praying that Gratification not be our guiding light, but rather his spirit and his leading. Pray, pray. It's the key to living in a practical way the truth of God's word. So today the challenge is simple. This week, let's spend time in prayer. And I, I mean truly spend time in prayer. Pastor, what are we going to ask about? What are we going to talk to God about? Talk to him about this temptation to materialism. By the way, we all have it. 
Say, ah, pastor, I don't need to pray about that. Then you're lying. We all have it. Pray, God, don't let that get such a grip on me that I forget you. By the way, this is so common that God told the people when they went into the promised land. You can read it in Deuteronomy. He said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to plant vineyards, and you're going to have wealth, and you're going to have a lot, and I'm going to give you all the blessings of that. But when that happens, don't forget who brought you into this land. Don't forget the Lord your God. Because God knew this is what materialism can do to you. It happened to the Israelites thousands of years ago. It can happen to us as America in 2021. How do we fight that? Prayer. Prayer. Throughout this chapter, we're going to see as prayer helps us to overcome our problems. We're going to see how, how prayer lets you and me live every day a practical, genuine Christian faith. This week, let's pray that God will help us overcome. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for your word and for your truth. Father, it's, it's something that we have needed. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, in a specific way, as we've studied your word and what riches can do, I pray that that would not be true in our life today. We would not allow riches to consume us. I pray that you would help us to avoid being greedy in any way. Help us not forget about the needs around us. And that people cannot say of us, you condemn and you kill those that are righteous and just. Father, if it's not because of your goodness, if it's not because of your grace, there's no way that we can consistently do that. And so I'm praying at this moment, Father, that throughout this week, finding you fulfillment and the satisfaction that we need and the peace that only you can give. Pray that you would be the priority of our life, the only God that we serve, the only God that we're consumed by, Help us, Father, to truly look for what satisfies you and not us. Father, we, we need more of you to do that. We need more of the filling of your spirit. In fact, you said by the prophet Zechariah, it's not by strength nor by might, but by your spirit. And Father, that's what we need and that's what we pray for this morning. More of you, more of you. Less of us, less of what we desire, less of what we can gain and get on our own, but, but Father, that with the blessings that we have received, that we would bless others and think on others and give to others. Help us this week to live that way in our faith. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.